Hello and greetings adventurers. We have some exciting news here today at DM's Book Club. Our good friends TJ and Alex are launching the long-awaited Crucible magazine on Kickstarter. It's a monthly magazine packed with over 80 pages of 5th edition content like adventures, subclasses, magic items, interviews and more. Each issue comes as a monthly printed magazine and PDF. Not only that, Crucible has teamed up with Foundry Virtual Tabletop, and every issue comes with a complete JSON module with all the adventures and playable content included in one easy package. As somebody who DMs fairly regularly, I'm really looking forward to their DMing advice column. I'm always interested to hear what other Dungeon Masters have to say. For more information and to get a free copy of their launch issue, check out the Crucible Kickstarter at www.cruciblemag.com forward slash Kickstarter. There's a link in the episode show notes as well. Thanks very much. Go check it out. Hello, and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. With me today for an incredibly special episode, um, I'm so excited to talk about this, is Matt from Dragon Plus. Matt, how are you, my friend? It's been a little hey, while. I'm good, I'm good. Uh, very good to be here again. Thank you for having me. No, thank you, thank you. Um, last time, we, it was a little while ago, but we talked about the, the D&D annual. I saw the second one had come out and I haven't, have yet to, to read it. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. It's been, a whole, yeah, it's, no, it's, you know, it's been a bit of a year, so it's fine. I don't need to read every single one, I think. Well, yeah. I feel like, though, the joy of the annual is that actually you were back when I was a kid, you would read that on Christmas Day mm-hmm. and then you might get it out like twice again through the rest of the year. So you could just pretend you've already read it on Christmas Day and then get it, you know, get it and, and read it again now. So. I think that is completely fair, but I guess we'll just get straight into it. What are we talking about today, Matt? What is our topic for DM's Book Club? We are talking about uh, something that I have known for a long time as Mariana, mm-hmm. uh, but is actually called Critical Role Call of the Neverdeep. Yes. It's very exciting because, you know, massive franchise uh, that is Critical Role, always big interest from the fans and Mm -hmm. non-fans. And I think this is a good addition without even being too Critical Role. It's a good addition to 5e. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've had, obviously, a couple of campaign settings already out for Critical Role, but they had obviously their first sort of Tal'Dorei and recently Tal'Dorei Reborn. That's just come out. But then obviously they got the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, which is kind of a, almost like a setup for this adventure. And I agree, like on the first read of it, it does feel like it's in the critical role world, but it's yeah. not embedded in it. So you're not going to be, you're worried like, oh, you've not seen any of the previous shows or if you don't have these previous books, it doesn't matter per se. It's kind of all self-contained, which is what I really, really liked about it. Yeah, I, I feel like they've done a really good job there because I think the the issue would be for anyone who's not a Critical Role fan is that, am I going to open this and just not get it, not understand it, not know what's happening? Mm-hmm. And as you say, this feels like you could just pop this down in your homebrew world. You could drop it into your 5e world. Your, you know, your Faerun campaign, whatever you want to do, it's, it mm-hmm. fits really nicely. What is Call of the Neverdy? What's sort of the broad overview of this adventure? It's, uh, what's really interesting is having read through it is, it feels like a bit of a best of 5e so mm. far, right? So, and I'll kind of explain that. And I, I don't feel this is a bad thing. I feel like this is a good thing. Like taking the best bits of things and making a new thing is is sometimes really good. Yes, agree. Um, so it's going to start like a kind of traditional adventure. You're going to have, uh, there's going to be like a, a festival where you're playing games and you're getting to know each other probably for the first time. Mm-hmm. That feels a bit like Witchlight, 
mm-hmm. um, if you watch the CR miniseries Exandria Unlimited, it feels like a bit like the By Road and Forever yes. festival that was in that. Mm-hmm. You've got a substance in here, which we'll talk about more later, called Ruidium. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit like Chardolin in that it does some good stuff, but mm-hmm. do you really want to be hanging on to it? Because it also does some bad stuff as well. Yeah. You're going to be going up against a rival party, which yes. brings in this whole kind of little social dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, social and everything. I mean, you might be fighting them, you might be romancing them. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't know. It's entirely up to how you interact with them. Mm-hmm. And that feels a bit Strixhaven-y. We saw in Strixhaven yes. there was a big dynamic of how you're going to make allies, make enemies, you know, mm-hmm. turn enemies into allies, you know, in in that kind of um uh I'm sure I'm not supposed to say Harry Potter style setting, but yeah. <laughs> Any sort of wizarding or witch school that yeah. you might yeah. have, you know, friends <laughs> that could help you in your exams or with the monster incursion. I completely agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you've got you kind of move into a section where you are kind of doing missions where you drop down this hole to do missions and like you may do lots of missions or you may pop back up and get a new mission and pop back down. That feels a bit like going into the well in the yawning portal. Mm-hmm. And we have a big bad in this because, you know, it is a, it is something that is going to build to an epic finale. Yes. And they really remind me of both Zariel from Descent into mm-hmm. Avernus and also uh, Rhyme of the Frostbite as well. There's a, there's a nice kind of mashup of those two things going mm-hmm. on there. So it's like, there's a lot of stuff that felt familiar Mm-hmm. But it's all been really well crafted into a story that gives you a lot of different elements of gameplay as you go along, which I think is good. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Different elements of the gameplay. Like, it's very, again, for someone who has watched quite a lot of Critical Role, it's very Matt Mercer. Like you said, this what the one yeah. thing that has come out is that there's the idea of that it's you versus this rival team of adventurers. And at some point, it becomes a choice where you become the heroes or they become the heroes. Yeah, and yeah. It's very classic critical role, that idea that you are rushing against something or somebody, and it's all about that time pressure, that to get to the next point, you know, it's that sort of motivation. It's like, oh, what should we do? Well, you know, the other team, they're already ahead of you, or they've already yeah, done yeah. something. And what yeah. the whole structure of this book is so cool in the sense of it, it gives you options saying, okay, if the rivals are friendly towards you, this can happen. If they're neutral, this can happen. And if they're hostile, even this will happen. And I really appreciate that from uh, in my sort of sort of day job we do learning scenarios so we have that sort of branching idea of like yeah. if this uh, effect happens uh, some parts will then be shut off to you like any sort of video games but I think it's yeah. structured so well in this campaign because it's not just right at the beginning it's at every stage where you meet them depending yeah. on what you've done can really affect and change it so it does feel in a way uh, a little bit like dragon heist that idea that you have all these other little parts coming together and you can pick you know as a dm you can always pick it but it, like you said that social element the players can also have a really big impact on it and i just yeah i just really love that as well and each of the the rivals has their own sort of detailed backstory and their sort of detailed like wants and needs and sort of a desire and it changes throughout the uh, the adventure so you know when you meet them later on stuff that's happened will change that and they might oh, yeah. you know, uh, just yeah. ah, so cool as a result I, i've never seen it go into that much detail before in any adventure that i've ever read so yeah really like yeah. that funnily enough i played an adventure from the dm's guild which I, mm. i'll i'll give you the name we'll post it in the bomb after Please, yeah um and uh, that had a right. That was the first thing I ever played that had a rival group, and I really liked that mm-hmm. idea. So actually, the second that I um, we talked to Matt Mercer about this, and he talked about the rivals, mm-hmm. like I was in because I was like, that sounds uh, perfect. You know, mm-hmm. it feels a bit like there's a bit in Shaun of the Dead where 
all the characters who are trying to escape <laughs> the zombies go past like an exact group of themselves trying to escape the zombies. And I, I, that was the first thing that I saw in my head when I thought of this, because I thought, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, there'd be other people mm. trying to have the same adventure as you, following the same clues as you, being put on the same missions as you. And like, how does that work? Or, you know, as you say, sometimes they're ahead, sometimes they're behind. Mm. Um, there's an interesting element in that. Uh, there's a tiny bit of advice on what to do for the DM if the characters refuse the quest, because mm. there's a point quite early on where the rivals may have got something very important Mm -hmm. and they may already be at a location. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I've played in some games where the group of players would be like, all right then, well, we'll go and do something else then. That's as told, yeah. Yeah, and be like, and that would, they'd just be like, okay. And as a DM, you kind of have to then be like, well, how do I get them back in this? And they give you a little bit of advice on how to do that. Mm. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if, some players just wander off and do something else at that stage. They just kind of, they just kind of go, you know. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's the that's always the worry when you have any adventure. So like, I'm thinking like Curse of Strahd, you know, it's so big oh, yeah. and sandboxy, and you're like, oh, yeah. there's this big evil thing. And they're like, yeah, I guess we'll we'll get round to it at some point. And it's like, <laughs> no, you can't leave. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. So it, and it's like getting, keeping them that interest and engaging in it. And again, maybe that's one thing people may be worried about if they're not big fans of Critical Role or know a lot about the world. It's like, oh, there's a lot to learn or something. I don't think so. I think, and again, yeah. to its credit, this book has this really cool short introduction about like obviously what the adventure is about, but things that they would know, you know, about the world, about the place that they start off in. And I think that as as a quick primer, it's perfect. Like I think it's like in total like two and a bit pages that you could just hand out to your players say you will know these things you will know this about the landscape you'll know about the people that live here and stuff like that and you can uh, you know build upon that and I think there's a really cool thing with um, creating the characters as well it's like characters backstory so it talks about you know come up with a strong backstory a question so what small heroic deed have you already accomplished uh, yeah yeah. Do you give your trust easily or do people have to earn your trust? Uh, what's the one thing more than anything that you want and how will being an adventurer help you achieve it? So I quite like those as prompt questions for, for backstories, actually. And it's like you can easily tie it in. Like if you don't know the names of villages and stuff, then it's just like, oh, I, I saved a village from, uh, I don't know, a shark attack or something like that. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. just yeah. around here and all that sort of thing. And and yeah, just to go back, you were saying that festival at the beginning. Again, what a perfect way to sort of introduce people. Again, another classic <laughs> Matt Mercer critical role. So I was like, we're going to have an episode where it's not shopping. We're going to do games. We're going to do uh, stuff like that. And I think that's just a nice way to ease people into it, to have a go. But also, as she says that, so the rivals are around and you've got to meet them bit by bit. And then at the end, you're like, okay, one final task. Oh, look, it's against the people that you've you've sort of met in you know bits and pieces. Yeah. 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 Really like that. Yeah, it is good because each of these games that you can play, and there's quite a few different things that you can play. Mm-hmm. And you get, at the end of it, if you win, you get a nice little um, medal that might give you a, a one-time magical effect that will come yes. really handy later on. You know, um, But yeah, the best thing about it is because they, each one takes a certain skill, mm-hmm. uh, one of the rivals is kind of invested in trying out that, mm-hmm. that particular game. So you end up going against them. Those very early interactions start to have an impact on on your journey of the rival. If you're respectful, if you're like good game, you know, like whatever, that's they can feel favorably to you. Mm-hmm. If you're a massive dick to them, then they <laughs> they that immediately sets their nose out of joint and they mm. start down a road of, you know, you would have to win back their favor effectively because mm. they'd be very neutral towards you. 
Yeah. Uh, and and yeah, and those things can have a real impact later on when you when you meet them. I mean, you can get to a point where they just outright attack you because yeah. they don't want to, or you know, they tell you to get out now or we're going to attack you later on in in the game if you've really riled them up to that mm. extent. So yeah, and, and especially, again, no no spoilers for the adventure per se, but what's interesting, again, each of the characters are very different and stand out. And then yeah. along the journey, because they are technically going in the same direction you folks are, because of certain things that happen overall in the campaign, uh, you see them sort of start to, not regret, but sort of get very nervous that they've done an action, you know, as the leader, say, and then like, oh, well, I don't believe in myself anymore. And then, uh, you know, other characters and how yeah. they do it. So, yeah. And again, maybe this is a very silly thing to say, but it's almost like reading a novel when I was going through it. And it's like, oh, these are the, you know, this is almost like the summary of what's happening to these characters. And it just so happens yeah. that you are also part of this, uh, you know, visual novel in the game per se. And I, again, yeah, just thought it was really good. And yeah, just to mention those medals of merit, uh, what thing I do think is really cool is that it is little handouts you can also give out to your players. So oh, you, yeah, you, you might not use them, those things. And yeah, yeah you might not yeah. use them straight away. Like I think that they're very cute and lovely, but I love that idea is like in that sort of the big fight you're just like no i will use my medal of the horizon back (laughs) (laughs) and i will be you know bigger ac and all that sort of thing um and yeah and they're all really cool named as well like there's like you know the medal of the maze medal of the meat pie i really (laughs) am that that whole like starting festival that yeah the festival of merit is called yeah just really really enjoyed that the one worry that I had with the rivals Mm. was that when I often when I build an encounter when I'm DMing I'll have one main creature mm. that often has like two or three abilities, something cool, something unique that it can do. And then maybe two lesser creatures yes. that have like one ability each mm-hmm. and then lots of minion-y things mm-hmm. so that I don't have too much to remember in a fight. Like, I, you know, because it's annoying when you're a DM and you think, oh, I didn't use that thing and it could have used that thing. And, that thing. All of us, yeah. and if there's kind of too much going on, you kind of lose track of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Even when... Even when sometimes I've written myself a note saying, don't forget to use the thing. And then you forget <laughs> to use the thing. And you're like, oh my God, how did I forget to use the thing? Mm-hmm. I was a little bit worried that running five individual characters mm. with, because each of them on the stat block has their own kind of abilities. Yeah, own little bits and um, different things. Yeah. I feel like when you're when I'm able to open these in D&D Beyond, mm. like have a tab for each one, I think that's going to be fine. I don't feel like they don't start off to high power they've all got a couple of things they can do i feel like you'll kind of learn them as you go along yeah um they get as your party levels up because you're going to go from third to 13th i think yes, in this that's right yeah. mm-hmm. um as you level up they level up so they have they have three tiers and they start at tier one and go to tier three so they you know they're going to get more abilities they're going to get um be able to do more cool stuff the same way that you can mm-hmm. but i feel like it will because it happens incrementally it will never really overwhelm the dm which is good i felt like i did you know i had a bit of a reserve about that but i feel like it would be entirely manageable the hope is that most of the time you're not fighting them anyway that you're interacting with them you know yeah well i, I don't it's that sort of ideal versus reality i it's one of those things yeah. where they'll say one thing and then you're like oh you've really angered them now okay yeah. um but, but yeah I, I completely agree and i quite liked how it was 
that tier thing. So it literally is just like, here's the first tier for the first couple of um, story moments, and then this, and then this. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I can't imagine, and it would be completely impractical to do it, but to have that sort of character sheet update every single time they, like, oh, yeah. I'm just like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it looks very straightforward. And I think, yeah, as well, if you knew, okay, this person definitely does it with the swords, and this person's definitely magical. And, and again, it's got that new spell casting stuff as well. So you don't have to keep track of spell slots. So it instantly makes it a lot easier yeah. <laughs> in terms of, yeah. uh, Running combat. So yeah, no, I I too have that same thing because I always worry as a as a DM. It's like okay, these are all five uh, creatures that are similar level, have similar sort of bits and pieces. Don't forget them. But I think yeah, it should be easier once you get going. And I think having that first couple of uh, combats or, or or anything like that. And also they're they're individuals and you're individuals. Mm. And it may be that three of the rivals like you and two of them don't. You know, it's like yes, there's a bit in there that I remember where it says. Maybe your parties meet and they're mostly neutral to each other. And, you know, you don't go to the tavern and have a drink, but maybe two of you secretly arrange to meet later on and, and go and have a drink. And I kind of like that aspect. I of really it, like that. Yeah. It feels very much like, you know, like the place you used to work and the place you work now meet in the park. <laughs> You know, and you're like, do they, you know, do we chat or do like I sneak off later and speak to the, you know, two people I used to work with? Yeah, I, I spotted that too. I do like that idea where you're like, it's, oh, we can't, it's like sharing friend groups. Certain friends don't mix together, but you're yeah. like, I'll go for a yeah. drink. Well, how are you doing? You're like, hello. <laughs> like, that would definitely happen if I was running this campaign. I was like, there's definitely going to be one person that is like best buddies. It's like, so how's it going? You know, yeah. or oh, yeah. better get back. You know, mum's the word yeah. and just total back. <laughs> I think the, the reason I like it the most is because there's always going to be the brash. Every party has the brash person. Yeah. And you don't want the brash person spoiling it for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that they would be like, I'm friends with you. That guy, not so much. Okay. But I'm friends with you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like, like, we've got a thing. My question to you, actually, just through reading this, because obviously it suggests um, for this adventure, obviously, like we said, it's uh, from third level to t- tenth level, uh, yeah, to thirteenth level. Sorry, uh, for five adventurers, obviously, it's like for what for each rival, one person. If you had less people running that game, would you remove one of the rivals? Uh, yeah, so they give you. It actually says, and I I really like this. It says either uh, either remove one. Mm. Or one of them suffers a, a death early on because oh. um, you have to you have to think that they're also adventuring like you. Mm-hmm. So, like, how impactful would it be to meet them in a tavern? And you go, yeah. oh, where's uh, where's Irv? And they go, oh, yeah, Irv, we, we don't died. talk. What happened? I'm to Irv. Sorry, like, yeah, I <laughs> oh god, and like you know, you know, someone at the table from the rivals bursts into tears and you know goes mm. away, and you're like, that's a good yeah. way of saying like you know. We only have four four players in our party, so we're only going to have four rivals. And like, mm-hmm. bosh, that's that happens. Yeah. yeah, no, I love that idea. But I, again, it's just because I've run very small campaigns, so it gets to the point where there's only two players. You're like, yeah. well, <laughs> slowly but surely, they get locked up one by one. For you, what are the key things that stand out from this book? Like, and obviously, we talked briefly about so the story overall, without giving too much away. But is there any bits you're like, this is really cool. This is why people need to get a copy of it. There was an interesting thing that I found because they talk about Ruidium uh, quite a lot. And they say, I I wrote down, it says, the familiar moon Ruidus plays a big part here. The true nature of Ruidius, which is the moon. The second uh, second red moon, yeah. Is a topic to be explored in other critical role stories. And yet actually there's an absolute ton about the moon Ruidus here. Mm -hmm. And this uh, substance which kind of comes from that. Mm. Uh, Ruidium. There's a lot of talk of that. I read that line really early on and I thought, oh, we're not going to hear much about that, I guess, 
but that suggests to me they're writing something right now that maybe that'll be the next book. Mm-hmm. And then there's all this information about it in the book. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess we are uh, getting some of that. Uh, I really like this idea that being born on the wrong day, being, you know, yes. uh, being born when Ruinus is at its height mm-hmm. and is casting its glow on the world can just effectively curse you forever. Mm. Um because that suggests there'll be players using that same logic. One of your player characters could be born on, on the bad side of Ruidus or could have the other effects that go with that. There's definitely the- an encounter later on which does have that. The, the, if you feel the moon flash and anyone that's, uh, that's there gets cursed for 24 hours and stuff like yes. that. It does, it does talk about that idea that people, you know, they'll know if this has happened or like, you know, that idea like, oh, you've been born under this full moon or you are cursed. And it's just that custom thing. And again, I love that as a storytelling flavorsome thing that, you know, that there is superstitions, there's all that sort of thing, but there is something to it. It's explained a little bit in the book, but you could really adapt it and add to it as, you know, that there is, I don't know, like a, a deity around it or old god or an old great one doing something as well just that just happens to be within this the, yeah. the red moon's yeah. uh power yeah. but there's some other great bits that are, that are just kind of they feel like little throwaway bits in in the book that are that like i really picked up on so i love the initial story centers around the betrayer god grumsh mm. and this does go back to critical role lore Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the time of the portray gods and uh, the cataclysm, um, but you don't. There's, it's explained briefly in there, so again, you don't really need to know. It's, and you know what? what? It summarizes it so yeah. quickly because uh, we yeah. read yeah. for a previous DMs book, we read the whole of the both Explorers Guide to Winemount and the original Taldori Reborn, and it, there's a lot on it. So I would, if you want yeah. to know more about the calamity and, and all that, and the portray gods and the divine gate and all that sort of thing, please read that. But it just all you need for this adventure is that really short bit on it because it's like ah, you know what's happening here. Yeah, but there's a bit in there that what uh, actually caused, partly caused the creation of the Netherdeep is that the Betrayer God Grunch hit a city with a spear strike so powerful that it destroyed a city, mm-hmm. turned lush jungle around the city into desert, and they talk about it piercing the plane of water to sort of help create Netherdeep, which is some spear strike, i got to say. That's, that's like, pretty, pretty badass, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's just like a throwaway, like, oh, this is why this is happening you know, mm. sentence like in there, you know, which I thought was great. Mm. Um, there's also a little bit of talk about consecution, which mm. is a kind of, uh, there's a religion around the lo- the Luxon, I think it is. Uh, yeah, is it Luxon or Luxon? Uh, I say Luxon. And the consecution means that your character would remember its past life mm-hmm. because it's part of a religion where when it dies, its soul is picked up by this beacon and then is distributed to a newborn. So you are reborn, and you, but you retain some of the memories of your past life. I really like that. Mm. And there's there's two bits in there that are kind of, um, or there's, there's, there's another bit in there that mentions it. And it's a quote that's just on a page, and it's mm. from Irvin Wastewalker. Oh, and yes. it says, I'm far from home, far from the locks and beacons, far from rebirth. There's no room for mistakes, not anymore. Mm. Um, now that to me suggests that the nether deep is too is too far from the beacon. So if he died in the nether deep, he wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Now mechanically, they never actually say that, but I'm taking that from effectively that quote. Uh, but I really like the idea of that. What I really would have liked is mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen uh, a feat around this that you could Ooh. take, whereby if you remember your past lives, then you get some kind of benefit from the feat. Uh, whether Ooh. that's kind of skills, you know, yeah, proficiencies, um, proficiencies in in 
either other kinds of weapons or other kind, or maybe some magic. Maybe you get, you know, um, maybe you get some spells, depending on what your past life was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I would love to have seen that and seen that explored a bit more. Yeah. I really like it as an idea. So. No, no, I, it's true because that, that is a big focal point. Uh, one of the campaigns is this idea of the constitution and, uh, and stuff like that. And I think what I love about it is that it's it gives you that way of, like you said, like way of getting more backstory. Sort of, yeah, I, I do think that would be a really cool thing to get the spells and get to, to being through that sort of thing. And yeah, it's it's only mentioned briefly here, but again, if you were going to read the Explorer's Guide to Wildman, it is I know it is in there in a bit more detail, but yeah, it's and it's such a cool idea. And it's not necessarily the focal point of this story, which I love. It's just yeah. something that you can have yeah, in the yeah. background. So it is very yeah, it's very much just it's something uh, something that may crop up at some point in the mm-hmm. story, but it's also referred to as something you could allow your player character to have mm-hmm. that maybe they um they have this. But like, as I say, they say there would be no mechanical benefits that I guess, I guess, you know, a nice GM would give them uh, advantage on history roles every now and again or something like that. Yeah, that's why I, I was thinking like history or maybe like, uh, I don't know, you, you're good with uh, thieves tools because a previous life was uh, you were a great thief or something like that. So, yeah, I, I definitely would give them something for that. I, uh, I really like the pronunciation guide, you know, because... Oh, you know, you, yeah, you know me too. I saw that and I was like, hooray! Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, it turns out it is not Bazoxan, as no. it is spelled. It is Bazozan. Yes. Uh, right up until I got to that, I'd already read it in my head Bazoxan about seven times. So uh, mm-hmm. it's really it's really nice to, to uh, be corrected in a nice way. Yes. And to hear, you know, all the character names are in there, all of the places you'll visit, uh, the names of those are in there. So as a, you know, as a DM... Uh, you'll be you'll be you'll be getting it right from the, like, thank the, goodness yeah because yeah. there'll be somebody who is a critical role fan in your party that goes actually it's pronounced this and you go well <laughs> I now know um, yeah. yeah like I, I struggled with uh, the the beginning sort of settlement uh, Jigao and I was like Jig Jigsaw I was just like no <laughs> yeah no I've got it I've got it now and I, I listened to various episodes of Jigao so I was like yeah done yeah. sorted <laughs> and again we've got um, we've got some great art. In the book um so oh, they beautiful. they're very good so one of the things that started off with the early in critical role is that loads of artists out there would do fan art mm-hmm. uh, and they would show that during the uh, you know the mid in the break in the middle of the episode mm-hmm. they've brought a lot of those artists along with them and oh, a lot fantastic. of those artists now work you know anytime they do a book with wizards mm-hmm. uh, wizards ask them if they have any artists they want to use and they bring you know they go yeah these people definitely oh. definitely these people definitely these people they did it for the Taldori books as well uh, mm-hmm. that was all filled with um because they, they you know they want to feel like they're giving something back basically to these people who've put in this fantastic effort mm. um and you get uh, i think you get maps by dyson logos which is you know that's always yes. been a thing as well and the maps i'll say as well they are like they are beautiful and they are very clean and crisp which i know is like so, so what but it's actually like certainly the ones obviously later on where you're in different uh settlements and stuff and they're just clear and you can see stuff but then the ones that are in say underwater caves or anything like that they're like yeah. they feel proper like there's the borders of them and the colors of them they re- i'm like oh these are exciting to actually look at as a as a dm and then i go Great. I don't know how I'm going to draw this on my rubbish grid map, like <laughs> yeah. like a squiggle, or get the players to draw it out. And you go, yeah, it's not as good as this map here, but that, that's okay. <laughs> there's some great stuff in there. There's there's a beautiful picture of the city of Ankaral. Mm. Um, there's a really funny image of goblin children running through the streets with oh, a pie know. and stuff like that. There's an amazing ghostly scene um, yes. when there's uh, these kind of ghostly characters in it. An incredible Abeleth. I just yes. want the creatures. Definitely talk about the creatures in a bit. 
Yes. Um, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that picture of Abelith, it's been used in quite a lot of the promotional series. And you're just like, what, when are we going to face that? And you're like, oh, don't worry. It's it's like that whole sort of encounter when you're reading through it. It's like, that's really cool. And I just love yeah. everything about yeah. it. Because for me, like when I first read about them, it was just, they were so such a cool creature. But I was like, I don't see how I could ever put them into a, I just, I can't just drop them into a campaign. Whereas here yeah. it's like, it's a perfect, obviously you've got the underwater elements of it, but it's just like, this makes sense. And the, what, what it's doing without too many spoilers, it's like, this is cool. And this is definitely oh, adds yeah. to the story rather than just like, yeah. oh, you've got an Abelith here. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the nice things they've done is in that kind of monstery thing is it's not just like, um, it's underwater. So there's a shark and there's mm. an Abelith and there's fish and there's this. It's very much like, no, they would do this, uh, you know, mm. because of the environment they're in. And what's going on around that environment? So, yeah, yeah. and yeah, I guess we'll go straight on to the to the monsters then, or the sort of yeah. the new creatures that they have put in it. Because like, when I was reading and sort of watching some of the videos, it's like the whole campaign is obviously about sort of deep dives and deep sea monsters, and there is that sort of thing. And I hadn't really realised until we sort of we were talking about it that all these creatures and stuff are creatures that are based on real life monsters that are in the ocean that we just yeah. never see. That idea is it's so totally dark, and then this creature this alien like thing appears and you're like how is it living under all this pressure and all this sort of thing and i just for me like looking at the slivering blood thin which is almost like yeah. half eel half which, eel which, and shark yes yeah. which well, if if you're listening to this and you've seen the cover it's on the back of the cover on the back of it uh, yeah and just appearing out of that sort of weird portal thing and just yeah, yeah that that looks nasty and that, that's large as well so that could just easily slip around the waters and stuff i wanted that on the cover of uh, dragon plus but mm. um, because it's very specifically a critical role monster, mm. uh, there's all kinds of like forward usage things. And we were like, no, we'll just get, we'll get, we've got the artist, uh, Mintu Heinonen, mm. is actually just doing as a cover. Uh, for oh, the that's so cool. Yeah. By the time you're listening to this, you can you can definitely see that as well, I think. So, yeah. And, yeah. And the other one, yeah, the light devourer, which is almost like the sort of that deep sea angler fish, but it's all yeah. about the light and being just be able to take light from you, yeah. which is frightening in itself, <laughs> and then yeah. using it against you. And yeah, the yeah. image of that is beautiful. Like I just oh yeah. it's like several rows of teeth I can see that just, just disappear into its mouth. So yeah, you're not getting out of that once you yeah. once you've been bitten. I think my favorite was um there's a sort of psychic jellyfish called the death embrace. Oh my goodness, uh, that's terrifying. Yeah, what that's got is obviously it's going to grapple because, you know, jellyfish, uh, lots of arms. Mm. Um, but its reaction is that it could, you come in, you know, one of your player characters comes in to do a massive attack against it. You know, I can see the paladin, you know, rolling, you know, X amount of dice and like, mm. oh, I'm going to pump this up and put this into it. And then the DM says, okay, as a reaction, it's grappling your teammate. It mm. moves your teammate into the way and you do all that damage to your teammate. Yeah. And you'd be like, what? What? No, can't <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah, the body shield reaction is pretty good. Like, yeah. and but also it has that petrifying tentacle, that uh, tendrils even. So any creature yeah. that starts its turn in the death and brave space has to make constitution saving throw. On a fail, it's restrained, and then restrained must repeat the saving throw at the end of the next turn to avoid becoming petrified. And they're like, oh my god, that's that's terrifying. They had it could just reach out, grab you, and then next turn just lets you go as you sink to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. What I would say is they've gone. I love the creatures that they've got. Mm. I you know, I love the stuff that they've they've made. And like you say, they've um, really fitted it well into environments. So stuff like the sorrowfish are cool. They have this uh, kind of psyche. They're awful, basically, just yes. horrible. Yeah. But I was kind of expecting more things like the scuttling serpent moor. So the scuttling serpent moor is like a crab mm -hmm. that has a sort of alien head coming out of the back of it that also 
attacks you. And I was, because of the way the Netherdeep had been described and mm. the envir- kind of environment that it was, I felt like more like awful things would have grown up there, mm. like like the, to the Scotling Serpent Moor. But like I say, it's not like it's short of beastly things to attack you because it, it really is. There's mm. plenty in there. We talked about Ruidium earlier. Yes. Uh, this kind of substance. I really like that. This kind of substance grows everywhere. Mm. And all the way through the book, they've kind of the edges of the pages have this kind of horrible red stuff, sort of like yeah, infecting through. Yeah, definitely seeing like Trish's work again. Um, yeah, like, yep, but, I, I know who's done that. That looks very cool. <laughs> uh, it's so, very, yeah, almost like the um, infection, the corruption going throughout the whole book itself. So you really do feel that. And again, there's a little bit like almost like wave-like stuff as well. So getting that sort of the underwater yeah. themes as yeah. well. Yeah, that material can affect items. It can yes. affect creatures. Because, in fact, there's a point where it probably has to affect you at one stage in order for you to do something. What I would have liked is, because all of these creatures exist in this environment, I almost would have liked a, this is a standard, you know, slithering blood fin. Mm-hmm. But this is a slithering blood fin that's been infected with ruidium, and it has this. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you know, if you need a, t- if you need a slightly higher challenge for your your characters because yeah. they've got really boss then throw this one at them mm. and then it will it will do this you know there's a point where it feels like you can't exist in this environment almost without being affected by the ruidium mm-hmm. so i feel like the next jump there is like well obviously all the creatures have at some point or they will at some point be affected by it so definitely no i i yeah i completely agree with that yeah, it's like because obviously they give examples of certain things that have been, like you said, like objects or, or certainly uh, figurines of a great wonder that have been, you know, been affected and they sort of rampage and stuff because it's all this idea of like distorted emotions and stuff. So it's like, I guess maybe not mechanically it would do anything different, perhaps. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I do quite like that idea that you go past some sort of a shark in general and then you come back and go, wait, wasn't there a shark here? And then it's like, comes out like proper finding nemo style and you're like oh oh it's now yeah. it's now got intelligence so that's not what i mean but that's sort of like it, it's now got a drive and stuff and it's it it's it's smart it's it's beyond it's not just a shark anymore it is definitely a shark that knows what these players are about and it's gonna get them so yeah yeah definitely see that oh yeah absolutely but having said all of that as much as i like all of that mm-hmm. uh my absolute favorite stuff in here yeah is when you're in Ankarel. Mm-hmm. You will join a faction. Yes. And the faction you join will depend on the kind of missions you go on. Mm-hmm. But also you will be you will be dealing with people within that faction and you will be working against people in other factions. Mm. And all the factions have people stat blocks that you can mm. use. One of the things I'm always looking for is seeing something in one game that I can just yoink, just pick that up. And I can drop that in. Mm-hmm. One of the things I struggle to find is kind of um, balanced things that I can, you know, uh, your party goes to a temple. So, mm-hmm. okay, what can I find that would be the hardest person in the temple or the most normal person in the temple that they're going to meet? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, does that exist? So I, I'm always collecting stat blocks of, you uh. know, because they say like, you know, we have a lot of, you know, interaction, just humanoid interaction in my game. So mm-hmm. um, I'm always looking for that. We have in this book, Things such as the monastic high curator, the monastic operative, which, as it sounds, people with monk abilities, mm-hmm. uh, the occult silver tongue, yeah. or the scholarly mastermind, or the scholarly agent. Mm-hmm. And I saw all of these and was immediately like, "Wow, they are they are immediately going into that you know collection that I have." Yeah. <laughs> when when you meet somebody who's like this, 
do I have something for that? Oh yeah, scholarly mastermind. Yeah, that's boom. yeah, definitely. In on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess with the free factions as well, what's great, and I think again, really done well. Again, is that idea of like the branching scenario. You you pick one faction to work with. They've got yeah. two related ones, but then they'll be like, oh, this third mission, we need you to go do X. Well, interesting. One of the other factions will probably be like the same mission, but from the other side. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I just I love that idea that you again, it's that you you close off one part of the story, and then you realize that again, should your rivals pick a different branch? They could be on the other side to you, or they could be working with you. And it's just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought that was, yeah. just, and it seems very straightforward, but I actually think it's like just to get three branches that all are very slightly different and similar missions that all interrelate in some way. I just, yeah, I thought it was really good. And it's like six sort of steps before you go into the sort of the big sort of final third act, essentially, which sort of gets you into that sort of yeah. that plane. It feels like the side quests in a video game that are building the overall narrative, basically. You are, by doing these, and again, it brings back that interaction with, as you say, with the rivals, because they'll be whatever faction you choose, they'll choose a different faction, and they'll be they'll be doing stuff as well. You may not have at that point have interacted with them for a while, mm-hmm. and then the interactions will start again. Then mm-hmm. they change as they go on, and yeah. their kind of attitude changes as, as they go on. And what I took from that was. If I was, you know, I mean, the player won't necessarily read the adventure, so they won't Mm. kind of get to see this. I think the DM will get this across to them Mm. and, you know, they'll see how these characters change. What I would take from that was like, you know, maybe maybe the adventure is getting me down. Maybe, you know, maybe Mm. I'm not happy going back, constantly going back into this environment that is, you know, pretty harrowing. Mm. And we only ever just get out of, you know, with our lives intact and maybe that's starting to beat me down as well. If I'm seeing another group who are the same as me have that kind of reaction to it. One of the big themes about this whole adventure is that idea of emotion. And that's yeah. like, what do you do if you're this suffering to an extent? And again, obviously would have that conversation with your players and stuff, but it's just that idea of like seeing people's perceptions of like, they did this thing and then, you know, they weren't a bad person or, or they were just mistaken that time. And, but it's interesting how obviously we perceive ourselves as doing something that's like the worst thing that's ever happened to us ever. We are a bad person from it. And I just, the idea of like the emotional trauma that uh, people give ourselves, I just thought it was just a different way of doing that adventure. It's not necessarily a clear cut, good, evil thing. It is something that this person's put on themselves as a, yeah. as a result. And so, yeah, I think seeing that through yeah your rival, seeing that through other characters that have come across in the story. Yeah. Just something I, I hadn't experienced that because obviously towards the end, you get to that point where you can have that, the good ending, the neutral ending, the bad yeah. ending, which yeah. we have seen this in other things. Like Strixhaven has the same thing as a good ending and a bad ending. But the idea that, and again, no spoilers at all, but to get to either of those endings, there's a few things you have to do. And it's, yeah. it's yeah. again, it's very video gamey way. Oh, you did this, but you didn't do this. So yeah. you're going to go for the it, neutral ending after all. Yeah, there is that sort of thing of like, oh, you didn't branch off early enough in this direction, basically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're never you're never cut off fully, but it feels there's, as you say, there's definite like building blocks of, if you did this, then yeah. this, it, you know, maybe this is easier towards the end. So. I, w- I wonder if, and again, it's unlikely it'll ever happen, but I'd be interested to see, what people do, you know how they have the telltale games after every episode is that most people chose this option or most people did this. I'd love to see, obviously for DMs who would know all about it because they've read the adventure, but for players going yeah. through it, at each juncture, it'll be like, okay, so majority of people picked this thing and they turned out the rivals were mostly indifferent to them all along, but then this ending happened. I just, I, it would be interesting to see, ever see the stats on that sort of thing. But again, it's, that's not how we run D&D. It's just me going, I wonder what people <laughs> could 
to do yeah. that story and because like again it's that sort of emotional learning and that sort of branching scenarios like because you pick certain things and then if you replayed the adventure would you pick something different or could you pick something different knowing what you did because I, I, every time you'd run this adventure would be different and yeah and that's that's oh, yeah. the beauty of the yeah, adventures yeah. yeah i feel so i mean I, I feel this is something you could run and have a very different outcome as you go along because mm-hmm. uh, like uh, you know there, there are different routes so for starters you could join a different faction each time and yeah. and and play play through that from the different angles mm-hmm. but you know starting with a new character each time you you may think maybe your first character you know, was super needy and wanted the rivals to love them. Mm. And maybe your next character is super brash and doesn't care, <laughs> you know? And so you'd your interactions would constantly change with those characters, which really does push and pull you in different directions as you kind of go through it. So mm. yeah, it feels like this would have good replayability, I think. That's the final thing I was going to sort of mention was that I love how there's a story concept arts at the end oh, of the yeah. story, I, I don't. Yeah. Again, maybe it's just me, but I don't think I've ever seen that happen in an official Wizards book. So it's it's actually really lovely to see, like the, you know, the rivals as they sort of been developed, these sort of the guards and all that sort of thing. I just, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, and I'm a big fan of obviously maps. The maps are great, but this it's almost like this um, layered one of sort of the final act, as it were, of all the different things about where things are. And I just thought I would love that as a big poster somewhere, like a big travel poster or something. Yeah, we have to thank uh, Sean Wood did uh, that concept art. And oh, that was there Sean to, Wood. yeah, to um, guide the other um, the other artists. I know that he spoke with uh, Matt Mercer and he refers to him as Joey Hake, but I, think, I believe James Hake to everybody James else. James Hake, Rose of Cake. Yeah. <laughs> clearly they're on very uh, good friendly terms if he's calling him Joey Hake. But yeah, no, that, that's great because it that kind of thing sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And actually, all of the elements that we've talked about are in there initially. So I think the rivals are quite close to what they turn out to be mm-hmm. in the end. And it's nice to get the little notes that go along with that because mm. I think it mentions that, you know, they use this touch of maroon in all of the rivals' costumes to give them the feel of a unified group, yeah. which is like, you may not notice it straight away, but it's a nice little visual kind of mm. like, yeah, we're all part of the same tribe, effectively. You know, mm. we've come together and this is our little signifying thing that we have going on. That's, that's so cool. And I realised that, yeah, Sean Wood, like he's he did stuff for the Fizz bands and all the different sort of dragons in that as well. And that beautiful concept art from that. So yeah, yeah. amazing. I, I'd highly recommend following his Instagram because he always posts, them, obviously once the book's released, you're like, ah, oh, and you go to see all <laughs> yeah. the beautiful concept art. I think they did one yeah. of, I, I, forgive me, I can't remember the name of it, but there's the lady in the fishbowl in Wild Beyond the Witchlight in the, at the festival. She did, he did a beautiful image of her and I was like, ah. Oh brilliant <laughs> we pushed him to see if there was any more art in dragon plus so we could show it off mm-hmm. and he was like no all the the you know the everything that's good is in is in the book so you will see all the good. all the good concept <laughs> art in there which is good so the, the last two things for the art are mm. if you're listening to this i'd love you to go and find the tiefling that looks like boris johnson at least that's what i think <laughs> yes yes right? yes yes and <laughs> genuinely genuinely there's a villain in here who looks like the Scooby-Doo villain when the mask has been pulled off. Like every Scooby-Doo villain, every old man Scooby-Doo villain ever, he's in there. He's, it's like, like I saw that and I thought, wow, did they get like an old Hanna-Barbera artist to draw this? Yeah, each, each of the character, each of the little character portraits, are, yeah, they're all very distinctive as well. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean, that that tiefling. And I was like, because like, they're very bookish is what the description was. And then I saw it, I was like, Ah, I now know what a bookish tiefling looks like, and now I know they look like Boris Johnson, and they may sound like Boris Johnson. So thanks for that, Matt. That's uh, that's that's flavored yeah. by my tieflings from now on. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, when I when I run this campaign, that character definitely sounds like Boris Johnson. Okay, just 
Definitely no no um, uh, no impact on their motives or anything like that at all. Just sounds like, but that, that's what worries. Like if you make them sound like it, like well, they were clearly they must be clearly evil, and you're like, well, maybe. <laughs> can't can't say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. That was sort of a whistle-stop tour through Call of the Nevity. And uh, I'm actually really excited that this has come out. And I'm so glad that I got to see a quick preview of it as well, just because, yeah, it's one of those adventures where I, as somebody who doesn't really run that too many sort of module-type ones, see it in like the world of Exandria, but then being like, oh, but this could be anywhere. And just, just the nice progression from small village festival to it's the end of the world. Reasonably yeah. like linear-like, but having those branching scenario paths just to try it out. And yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it does. It feels like it jumps up nicely. It feels yeah. like you start kind of playing uh, silly games that you might not think have any relevance, but do. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you you kind of understand the threat and you're on a mission kind of structure. Mm-hmm. And then you are basically in the end game then and it's all, you have to stop this. <laughs> yeah. Where can we find you? What what stuff should we be looking at? That's what you've been involved with. What's your work like? What's 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 new with you essentially? Uh, what's new with me? Uh, so you can always find me uh, at Mejaboy, which is M E J A B O Y, on Twitter, and you will find me in the pages of Dragon Plus, mm-hmm. uh, which is free. It's free online. Go to dnd.dragonplus.com or go to the official Wizards website. There's loads of links through there, or download the app through Apple or Android, all available there. It's amazing. It's free. We tell you all stuff about this. We've mm-hmm. interviewed Matt Mercer previously. We'll be talking to James Hake and Sean Wood in the issue that's out now. Yeah. Loads of free art, loads of free maps, loads of great stuff in there. So um, that's the best place. 100% agree. I love seeing the sort of freebie adventures and all that sort of thing. It's just so much. It's so it's so nice to see what comes out of it. So thank you so much for that. And just to finish off, I am the host of What Am I Rolling, a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast. As always, it's going very, very well. Loads of one shots coming out. We've got uh, Long Haul 1983 that's coming out soon, which is like a dystopian solo RPG, which is uh, it's not as cheery as maybe Call of the Never is, but I don't know. There were, there's some themes maybe of emotional trauma in those as well. But if you have fancy that, come and check those out. Out. Um, we've got an offer code at Third Space Gaming. Uh, if you type in DMPC into checkout, you get 10% off your first order. And I'm sure they'll have Call of the Never Deep. So if you want to get that pre order, go put that in and get it now. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you, speak to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.